You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to go through uh, 15 through 23 today. How many of you have ever had someone pull one over on you or attempt to pull one over on you? You know what it's like to try and be deceived. Okay, I had an experience when I was in college um, because I was late. Now, were anybody here you struggle sometimes with being late? Okay, okay. Do you know that there are certain things they try to do to you if you're late, there, there's, there's classes that they try to pick on you. And I, I didn't know that was going to happen to me, but this is a true story. And, and I might have told you this story before, and I just have to say, I don't remember where and to whom I've told my stories. And if you heard it before, get over it, okay? I, I, uh, I just tell you, I, I don't know. Anyway, so, so I, I go to, uh, it's, you know, I think it's my junior or my senior year, I mean, it's something like that in Bible college, and it's a youth psychology class, and I came in the last person, I, I came in late. And I sit down, and they're in the middle of this exercise. The exercise was that they were going to put lines on, on a you know, on a screen, and the lines had different lengths. So I, I, I walk in, and, and, and they said, okay, who sees uh, line A as the longest line, line B as the longest line, line C as the longest line? And, and the one that was picked by all the class was one that did not look the longest to me. And so I sat there, and I'm thinking, what, what did I miss? And so then... I didn't put my hand up for any of them. And somebody said, doesn't everyone have to vote? And they said, yes, everyone has to vote. So they put up three more lines. And, and I'm looking at it. And then everybody says, okay, which one seems longest to you? And everybody raises their hand for what to me appeared as the second longest line. And so then the question was, Nathan, would, you know, who thinks that line C is the long? And I, I put my hand up. I was the only person in the room. And so I'm looking around, thinking I missed something. And so then they did it again. The whole class on one side, they picked the second longest line. I picked what is to me the longest line. This happens three times. And my professor stops at the end of that and says, Nathan, we were doing a psychology experiment on you. And I said, what? He said, it was it was to see if, as the whole group of people moved in one direction, would, would that cause the last person who came in to switch their vote to go along with what everyone else was doing, even if they had to deny what they saw with their own eyes, and you did not fall for it, right? Now, it's funny because I put that professor's name on, my, on my, uh, my resume, and he told my original pastor that story, and, and so I got the job, right? <laughs> I had no idea that that was going to happen, but it's funny because when everybody seems to go in one direction, it's so easy to watch everybody sell out what they believe to be true to go with what the majority says. We're gonna see something like that in the text today. 
We can be divided. Our loyalties can be divided. When truth comes across your door, do you have the guts to call it what it is? Or do you desire to have everybody else's approval where you will sell out? Let's look at the text today and see what God has. Because really, it's about, it's about dividing loyalties, right? If the whole majority goes this direction and you know that that's not righteousness, will you go along? Let's see what God has to say about this particular thing. This has got us um, in 2 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to hit 15 through 23 today. By the way, this is going to be the last message that we're going to preach on the uh, Shadow King until after uh, Christmas and then, and then all the way uh, near the end of January. And then we'll, we'll jump back in again. So just to let you know what's going on. When Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, entered Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with them. Um, in case you're new here today, we do something called expository preaching. I'm not going to go through and give you a total like rundown on everywhere we've been. You can always go back and catch up on our app and on our website because we put all our messages there. Um, but we have a rebel king who is the king's son. He's trying to overthrow his dad. He has now come in. He's taken his dad's number one counselor, Ahithophel, and, and he has gotten the people to come together to overthrow David, the true anointed king of Israel. So now they've all, they've all had to run out because Absalom would have come in and killed them. So now we see that this is where Absalom finally comes into Jerusalem. He is the new king by all standards of all the people, um, and he's got the popular opinion of the people. So he comes in, all the men of Israel enter with him, and Ahithophel with him. Ahithophel is um, the major war counselor of both David and now his rebel son, Absalom. This guy is regarded as giving such incredible advice that when he says something, that is exactly the shrewd position. It's like if you, if you wanted the best possible advice, you'd go to Ahithophel because he would never let you down. And it didn't mean that he always said what was the righteous thing. He just always said what was the winning thing. So, the gates are opened up. Now, traditionally, anybody who accepted a king would come out of the gates. They would present themselves before the gates and say, you're our new king. If they didn't leave the city like much of the people that went with David, they were accepting the kingship of that new king. And who is this young man? He's the incredibly handsome Calvin Klein looking son of, uh, you know, of David, but he's a supplanter, he's a usurper, it is not truly his, but he's taken it by force. He's, he's, he's lured the hearts of the people over to him. And so they have accepted this very handsome and popular king. Verse 16, it says, Now it came about when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. So when you, anytime you see the exact same statement written in Hebrew or in Greek, you, you, you're not seeing them say it twice. What the writer is doing is to show you that he's shouting it. 
okay? Long live the king, Hushai says. Now, if you remember from the past chapter, Hushai was ready to go with David, and David says, whoa. He says, if you leave, I've got nobody inside the city who can help me. I want you to stay because there is, because Ahithophel's counsel is so smart. I need you to try to, to undermine Ahithophel's counsel to Absalom. It's almost like a battle between these war counselors. Absalom is going to listen. Everybody would listen to Ahithophel, but I, I need you to see if you can undermine him. Stay in the city. So Hushai is now a spy. He is now there to, to do damage to Ahithophel's council, whatever that means. He's in grave danger should he be found out. He appears to be loyal to the new king, but he actually says the true thing. He says, long live the king. That doesn't mean that's not David. Does that make sense? I got this lawyer friend. He tells me, it is important to be incredibly honest, but you don't have to tell everybody what all the things you know. I'm like, very shrewd, very shrewd. Absalom says to Hushai, is, uh, is this your loyalty to your friend? That was the title that Hushai was known by. He was known as the friend of David. And, and Absalom's trying to go, why are you here? I mean, of all the people I would have expected to have gone with David, I would have expected you to go. That's really what he's saying. He's, I'm surprised you're here. Is this your loyalty to your friend? Doesn't say to my father. Notice that. Why didn't you go with your friend? And, and, and I think Hushai is very shrewd here himself because he goes, hey, that friend of mine is your dad, and I'm noticing you're not calling him your dad. But Hushai said to Absalom, watch him turn this. He says, no, for whom the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen, I will be, and with him I will remain. Now he still has said something without lying, but without telling the entirety of the truth of where his loyalties lie. Hushai, who, who are you going to side with? And Hushai says, my first loyalty is to God. It's indeed you watch this, you're going to be like, oh man, he's kind of tiptoeing through this thing. Yeah, wisely he's tiptoeing through this thing. And the perspective of the hearer can make all the difference in what the statement actually means. And, and to try and, 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 you know, if somebody wants to hear something, they'll take what your words are and they'll interpret it a certain way. I got a little clip for you. I don't know if you've ever seen the Chronicles of Narnia, but this is a, this is a clip where the queen, um, the white witch, she thinks she's the queen of Narnia, and she has been uh, for a long time, but Aslan is changing that, and he's brought the four children over, and, and, and when he brings them over, um, there's a, a little fox who's regarded as a spy, and uh, he says the truth, but watch how the, the white witch hears the truth. It's so warm out. 
Hushai says that his loyalty is to God first. And even though Absalom wants to hear that Hushai's loyalty is to him, he's very careful about what he says here. I think in the world we live in, we need some shrewdness as believers, amen? Now, I don't believe that we need to in any way be cowardly. Do you know that one of the things that God looks at as incredible sin is cowardice? Did you know that? Absalom wants to receive the loyalty from Hushai. He loves nothing better than the fact that the friend of his, of his dad, the friend of the king is now with him. That just, that just strokes his ego. That makes him look all the more that, that he should be the king and that his dad was not worthy to be the king. But, but Hushai says, who does God choose? Who does the people choose? Who do the men of Israel, and I believe that means the army, who do they choose? What, it, it, it kind of sounds like this, it almost sounds like what does the majority choose, but I, wanna, I want to try to, to just give you a, a, a caution. Just because something is, is desired by the majority does not make it right. Majority is, I, I, I hear people all the time say that America is a democracy. That's not true. America is a representative republic. We, majority, the, 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 the easy way to think about a democracy is that mob rules. Whatever the mob wants, whatever the majority wants, the majority gets. But that's not what America is. It is a system of laws laid down by representatives of the people. 
And therefore, it must abide by the laws that have been placed in effect prior to whatever the circumstances that arise is. Because the natural tendency is when something pops up as a, as a big deal, we want to go over and we want to, we, we respond with our heart. The beauty of America is that we make laws where we respond with our mind knowing that circumstances may come up. And when those circumstances come up, we're going to follow the rule of law. We don't just do whatever we feel. Our feelings many times can lead us astray. Now, there are a lot of democracies in the world. Benjamin Franklin was asked about what kind of government were we, were, did, did the founding fathers give to the American people? And he said, he said, ma'am, we've given you a republic if you can keep it. That's what he said. So we got a lot of people that have gone over to Absalom. Hushai is with God. And he's cleverly kind of coming through this situation. Okay, now in verse 19, it says, Besides whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. It says, I'll be here. Doesn't say he's going to serve his best purposes. What he, he brings up his dad. I think that's interesting because what gives any prince the legitimacy to even think that he has the right to rulership? He's of royal blood. And Hushai reminds him of his father in the statement. Not, you know, friend of the king or anything like that. That's your dad. I think there's a lot that can help us as the American people if we would, if we would remember where we came from who our founding fathers were, and who was the God of our founding fathers. Pastor Derek and I went to um, a meeting the other day with a lot of other um, pastors and, and, and religious leaders, not even all of the Christian faith, but of other faiths. And I was thinking to myself, it was a little uncomfortable because I have people in that room that are saying that truth is, is perspective. Truth is not perspective, truth is a person. Jesus is the truth. And here I am amongst other clergy members, and I'm not even sure that that's how they feel. When the clergy is divided, no wonder the people are confused. By the way, I'm having breakfast with an imam coming up here in the next several weeks. You could pray for me. Be very careful in choosing your words. Do so with all wisdom. Walk very carefully. When Absalom said to Ahithophel, give me your advice, what should we do? Okay, now I'm in the throne, what should we do? Here we are, watch what Ahithophel tells him to do. Watch this. Go into your father's concubine. Just so you know, go into your father's concubines doesn't mean go visit them. It means go sleep with them. Watch this. Whom he has left to keep the house. Remember, he left 10 of them. And when all of Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father, the hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. Now, he's the top counselor to the king. And he tells the young king to go do an act that is so odious, from where we get the word odorous, right? Smelly, stinking, rotten, Go do something 
that will show everybody that there's no way that you and your dad will ever be able to reconcile again. I want you to go and I want you to sleep with the, the women that your father has slept with. This is, a, this is an incredible, great evil in the ancient world. In fact, I want you to see this in the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, which is the, the chapter that lays out all of what is sexual sin. There's only one way that you can have uh, righteous sex before the Lord, and that's to be married in covenant between one man and one woman. That's it. Everything else, sexual sins, all laid out in Leviticus chapter 20. And so here's, here's what it says about this situation. If there is a man who sleeps with his father's wife, so it would be like his stepmom, he has uncovered his father's nakedness, both of them must be put to death. They have brought their own deaths upon themselves. Okay, now, I want you to go sleep with 10 of the women that your dad has slept with. Now, that sounds uh, totally evil, but it also is politically shrewd. Here's how. Because when you make sure that all of Israel knows that there's no coming back, like you burned the ships, Absalom, there's no way that you and your dad will ever reconcile, then the people that are with you will, will, will feel stronger in their position that there's no chance that there's any possibility that David's ever going to come back. And you'll be telling everybody that you are in charge. That you, you, are, you are the guy that doesn't care about the law. You don't care about what people might think of you. Don't worry about the consequences. I, I am the one that you better fear. You're going to tell all the Levites, all the religious leaders, you don't have any concern about what they might say. Wow. Now, this, when he says this, it, it goes to the prophecy that Nathan the prophet made to David back when he slept with Bathsheba. Do you remember? This is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. I'll read it for you. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will, I will raise up against you from your own household. Here it is, is his son. I... I will take even your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, meaning lying with Bathsheba. You got into sexual sin secretly, but I will do this thing before of all of Israel and under the sun. What you meant to be a quiet little thing going on, that nobody would find out about, everybody's gonna find out about it, and everybody's gonna be talking about it. David has already repented of that sin, so a lot of people could say, well, well, why does he have to have any consequences? Because in this life, even though we repent of sin, there are still earthly consequences because sexual sin always affects someone else. I mean, even think about why does Ahithophel seem to turn on David the way he did? Why does he hate David? It's because it's Bathsheba's grandfather. This guy's got that wound. You wounded my, grand, my, my granddaughter. And wounds have a way of multiplying through people and through time. So watch in verse 22. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, 
And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. The whole nation can see that he does not care about what God has said. He doesn't care about the law. He doesn't care about his dad. He doesn't care about decency. He doesn't care about tradition. He only wants everyone to know, I am king. This event evoked a national conversation. When I was a teenager, Bill Clinton was the president of the United States. And I remember one day that that we found out that he had sex with a White House intern. And then he said, you know, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And so the whole nation began to talk about what constitutes sex. And pretty soon, you know, he, he, he was using clever words. He was using clever arguments. And he couldn't negate the fact that there was sexual sin that happened in the highest office in our land, just like in this story. And I remember because I was young, and this conversation was happening, and I was having a conversation with my parents, and, and, and we were talking about it. But I remember little kids asking, what's the world sex? I never heard of that. And that's like, well, this is the conversation that every parent wants to have with their kid at nine, Right? <laughs> But that was what was happening, and parents had to address the question. And, and you know, when you have more immorality happen in the highest office in the land, how many know that that runs down? It affects so many people. And I was largely, you know, I was a teenager during the 90s, and I would say the 90s, man, the morality in America took a hit. I mean, things that I remember seeing shows like we used to watch a Cosby show. I mean, it was it was good. It was wholesome. But by the end of the 90s, we saw, you know, men kissing men and women kissing women on our sitcoms. And people were joking about all kinds of various sexual sin that was wicked. When you have sin happen in that highest office, it trickles down. Imagine how this immorality is going to affect the nation. So verse 23, the advice of Ahithophel, which in those days, which he gave in those days, watch how his advice was regarded, was as if one inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. This guy was such a shrewd counselor that when he would speak, everyone would go, that's got to be the right thing to do. He's motivated out of this wound, having to do with his granddaughter, and David having done what he did with her. That bitterness has been alive and it's fomenting. You know, every rebel who follows a rebel king counts on the rebel winning. Ahithophel, by all worldly standards, is unbelievably wise. He's what you would call a genius strategic thinker. But he slimed and he smeared the true king, who's David. 
And he, and listen, what was his, what was his advice regarded as? As if it was God's. Do you know, he's not the only rebel counselor who's come to tell people about being like God's. That was the original in the Garden of Eden who said, God knows that when you eat of the fruit that you will be like he is. Or in other translations, it says you will be as God's. There's this desire inside of us to try and equate ourselves with God. But the wise, the truly wise, know there's one God and we're not him. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And what he says, it is truth. What we say is opinion. But if we say what he says, we speak truth. And this desire inside of Ahithophel, do you know his name actually has a meaning? Here's what his name means. The brother of foolishness. Can you imagine growing up and that's every time you hear your name called? That it means a brother of foolishness? What would you try to do with your life? You would try to, un to, to, to change that meaning. And so he's trying to be smart in his own ways. He's trying to, in, in my own way of thinking, I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna give counsel that is going to be the winning counsel. And that spirit of Ahithophel is alive in our world today. It is a counselor speaking in the ear. I, when I was thinking about what do I name this message, it's a war counselor. But do you know that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I have to go. When I go, I'm going to send you the helper. He's your counselor, not your therapist. He's your war counselor. He's to give you advice and be a help to you. Do you know, ladies, here's an awesome thought. Do you know that that same concept is the help that a woman is to her husband? That when you are a helper to your husband, you're like the Holy Spirit to a man. You're helping him. Isn't it awesome that you have a role and a calling to be like the Holy Spirit? That's a high compliment. And the Holy Spirit is our war counselor that goes against the wisdom of the wise. And I'm going to read this, this portion of Scripture, and, and I'll be done. Here you go. This is called the wisdom of God from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 31. It is the Holy Spirit who is writing through the hands of his apostle, Paul. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. We come on Sunday morning to hear the gospel preached. 
And you think about how many people think, well, it's such, such a dumb idea to just sit there and listen to a guy talk. Hey, this is, this is God's idea. And people can call it foolish, but this is where we ought to be on a Sunday morning. To start our week, to hear what the Lord has to say. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there, are not many, uh, there were not many wise according to the flesh, nor many mighty, nor, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not so that he can nullify the things that are, so that no man can boast before God. God is not impressed by bragging. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I hear all the comics make fun of Christians, I just think, laugh now. And I pray for them. Here's a, did you guys hear that is it Rob Schneider just came to salvation in Jesus Christ? You can do it, right? Like, I'm thrilled. Anytime a sinner comes home, I'm happy. When people make fun of us, that's okay. Pray for them. Don't hate them. I, I've had that wrong spirit before, but love them. Pray that the Lord would remove the blinders off of them and give them a revelation of who Jesus is. He loves to take the foolish things. People say, cross, come on. Come on, Jesus, come on. Guys, we will not be ashamed in the end. And though this whole world may be against us and we are on the minority, who cares? Because if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? We will not be ashamed. You stand firm. It doesn't matter if it feels like you're standing alone at your workplace or you're standing alone at the Thanksgiving table while everybody's talking about, you know, whatever they're talking about. You stand for truth. You don't move. There's a difference between being stubborn and being steadfast. You're stubborn when you're wrong and you won't move, but you are steadfast when you are right and you won't move. I want to ask you this today. To whom will you give your loyalty? Were you going to be ashamed on the final day? You know, I hope that as a whole church, I love each and every one of you, even though I might not know you deeply. I, I love you. I pray for you. I pray blessings over you. 
I pray that God will show you every day more and more of who he is. I pray that you will go deeper down your discipleship. I pray that you walk in obedience. I pray that God would just illuminate himself before you and use you to illuminate him in front of other people so that more might come to know him. I pray for that for you. But I also know that not all of us in this room are gonna make it. I wish that were the case. I've done too much youth ministry too long and seen lots of young people walk away from the Lord. I know some of us will be there on that final day and some of us will be ashamed. Here's, here's what we try to do as pastors. We just wanna make sure that we have done righteously by you to tell you the truth in love. Your decision is what you're gonna do with it. I, I'm not responsible for that. There will be those that will go to hell that I will not be responsible for. Their blood will be on their own heads because we told the truth in this room. And there will be some, if we didn't tell the truth or we ever watered it down, then, then their blood would be on us. But we must tell the truth. I want you to think of this as fathers today, gentlemen. Are you telling your kids the truth? Are you telling your spouse the truth? Are you driving home the truth in your home? In fact, if you're sitting with your spouse right now, would you just grab their hand? Or if you're around a friend, just put your arm around them and say, you're my friend. We have a relationship with one another. Maybe you're with your kids. Because I, I want you to see that we're a family in here, amen? We're a family. Led by our war counselor, the Holy Spirit, and here's the deal, he's never lost, and there's no chance that we're gonna lose if we stay on his side. With your hands on somebody. Chrissy, will you come up here so I can hold your hand? Kari, come on up here. Bring Morgie with you. Come on, Morgie. This is Kari's roommate. If you're with your brother or your sister, put, up, put your arm around them, whatever. Here we go. If you're single, reach out. You got family in this room. Come on, move across the aisle. Whatever, doesn't matter. Put a hand on somebody. Scripture says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Let's consecrate ourselves together. Can we do that? Let's just give our lives to the Lord again afresh today. Lord, our loyalty is with you. We hold on to the truth. Lord, we're going to push each other to greater and greater, greater levels of godliness today. Lord, we're gonna hold on to what your word says. Lord, though we might be attacked by the world, we will not permit it to divide us, but we will hold on to Christ and we will not be ashamed. When the winds blow and the rains fall and the floods come up, our house is built on the rock and it will remain. And Lord, we pray that we would grasp as many people who do not know truth, and we would grasp and snatch them from the fires of hell because we love people here at Life Church. 
Lord, we stand in truth. Lord, help me to be a better father and a better husband for my family. Help me to be a better friend, a better pastor. Lord, a better mentor. God, make me a better citizen. Lord, I, I want to listen to you today. I want to hold on to you. Forgive me where I've failed and gone off course, God. We consecrate our lives together here at the Fishers Campus that we will serve you with all of our hearts. Forgive us, Lord, where we've failed. Forgive us where we've got off track. Lord, we repent. Lead us back to your side. Lord, you do not change. We change so much. But make us steadfast in our love and in our devotion to you. We pray in your mighty, precious name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. If you need prayer today, we're here. Let's have the prayer team come down. If you've never given your life to Christ, I love what Pastor Derek did. He gave you that opportunity. Some of you, you've grown up in the church. That's good. It doesn't mean you're a Christian. You're a Christian when you make Christ yours. You're not going to get there on your own. Dad's walk with God. You get there on your own. So, so would you, you just give your life to the Lord today. It's the smartest, it's the most wonderful thing that you could possibly do. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came into the world to convict them, to convict the world of what is sin, what is righteousness, and what is judgment. The purpose of the Holy Spirit's work was to show you Christ and show you that you need him. Everybody in this world might tell you you're a good person. I'm going to tell you without Christ, you are not good. With Christ, you become good. And that's why we come together as believers, not because we have it all together, but because we know how lost we are and we trust in the Lord our God to save us. Amen. He's the only perfect person in the room but he's here with us. If you'd like to give your life to the Lord, we're here to pray for you. You need prayer today because there's a really, you need a healing touch today. Come get healed. I'm going to get healed. That's what I believe. Amen? So let's just stand up. Let's worship the Lord. Let's respond to the Lord. Come to the altar for prayer. If you don't want anybody to pray for you, you just want to sit down at the, at the altar and get on your knees. You can do that this morning. God bless you. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.